For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey everyone, on this week's episode I'm joined by Marty Turco, the winningest goaltender in Dallas Stars history and 2006 member of the Canadian Olympic team. Before pro, he attended Michigan University, where he won two national championships and more games than any other goalie in the D1 record books. Turks revolutionized goaltending by creating the eponymously named Turco Grip, forever changing how we handle the puck. Hope y'all down in Texas enjoy this one. And Otter a dime and Vinnie Paul. Get your pull. Six degrees, Mike. What's up? How you doing, buddy? <laughs> I'm doing well, man. What's uh, what's going on in your world today? Give us a little bit of insight to what you've done since you retired from the game and made a home in Dallas. <laughs> yeah, you said we only had an hour, man. Come on now. Condense it, man. Let's uh, do it in like, give me like three <laughs> minutes of what you're doing currently. Because I know you've got a lot of irons in the fire. You're a busy guy. I like being busy. we got three kids. We were Came back to Dallas to retire and start life ever after. Currently work for the Dallas Stars. Brad Alberts, our president, has been awesome. So I work with him. Uh, we'll run the foundation, which I love. It's one of the best parts of being a professional athlete is working in the community. So that was that's amazing. And also, uh, my cousin have a brewery up in Ontario that's uh, relatively new, but kicking butt called Kingsville. So we're selling a lot of beers and making a lot building tap room construction that part's never fun but that's the way it goes um so those are the main things but mostly working full-time in dallas with the dallas stars organization has been um eye-opening learning the business side of it i've been really fascinated with it and so <clears throat> that's the latest chasing kids around too you know we got three two girls and two girls in high school Little guy that plays hockey, he'll be 11 soon, my man. So just um, looking to retire another time. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> is your is your son going to follow in the family footsteps and put the pads on? No, he's going to. Um, he wants to play goal. He's expressed interest. I told him he's not flexible enough and the legs aren't strong enough. You know how important that is. But he's only he's still 10, turning 11, like I said. But he's He's interested, uh, kind of wanting to be a better skater. And, I mean, I watch you wheel around and, and some of the best in the world. And the one thing that's the most consistent, I find, is their skating ability. I just find it vital. And so we're not going to uh, rule him out as a goalie quite yet, but um, certainly steering him towards uh, scoring goals and making plays. But, you know, we'll go. I'll, I'll let him dictate it, but uh, just trying to give him a little – some skill based, uh, which I think is super important. I always thought it was just as fun, and that's why I played forward in the summertime to give me a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a different feel for the game. And I still do it. I play with my dad in the summer, and it's it's like playing a whole different sport. And I think it's kept me sane all these years that I could go out and play goal, knowing that I was going to get a break in the summertime. 
dude, I, I love playing forward then. I loved playing forward growing up. I love playing forward now, uh, scoring goals. This is a goal. You're like, okay, I know what it's like to score goals or try to score goals, uh, that perspective. And I think that perspective is vital as a goalie, kind of understanding the other side's the shooter's mentality. And, and, and even better, dude. Knowing what it's like to score a goal, put your hands in the air, and everybody celebrating the lights red, and uh, win a game or or tie something up, and and then the best part of it is knowing what it's like to take it away from that little happy person who wants to score a goal. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> now, that made, now that made me happier. A little get a little uh, little nastiness in it, but man, I just yeah, what a what a feeling to make. 35 saves a game and get the win. There's really yeah. nothing better. Well, for someone like you that handled the puck so much and were so good at it, what made you decide to be a goaltender when you were a kid? Because obviously you were skilled with it that you could have done either of them, I think, have been successful. So if you could just give me background on, one, how you became a goaltender, and then also how you eventually ended up going to University of Michigan and playing Division One college hockey instead of going to Major Junior especially for being a Canadian guy from Sault Ste. Marie. So if you could just lead us a little bit into that story, that'd be great. Well, dude, it's, um, you know, growing up in a little hockey mecca, Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, uh, awesome upbringing, cold weather, pretty easy to play some hockey on the regular, which we did all summer too with the, with the tennis ball. Um, but I was, I was nine years old, played, played travel hockey as a forward when I was eight. And they, they asked at when I was nine, um, you know, hey, you want to you want to play half the year net? And I went back to house league to do so. I played half the year net and half the year uh, forward. At the beginning of the year, even um, I got my turn right away. They're like, man, do you want to play half the year in goal? And I was like, yeah, you know, I'll do it. And um, really, really enjoyed it. And I think the kicker was there's there was a couple, but I was small, but I was I was pretty good at it. And um, I remember we played a, played the rep team younger, which you know a lot of hustling teams do. And I played in goal, and and the game was close. Uh, it was a low scoring game, but we lost. And I'm like, told my coach, say next time we play, I want to play forward because I want to make sure we can score some goals against these guys. And I remember playing forward, and we got beat eight one and I only scored one goal. I, I needed to score nine. <laughs> I figured we had a better chance of winning if I was the goalie. Um yeah, that was the secret ticket right there. And so the next year at age ten I started full time. Um uh, did that for the next twenty six years. And we just after that too, Mike we, we end up getting Greyhound Billets there, our junior eighteen there to St. Marie billeted stayed at our house these, these guys were you know the age group in, in high school they have beards on they're men they're, they're the best hockey players in town they're uh just put on a pedestal and and i wanted to be them really did dude. really wanted to be a susan greyhound i went to a lot of their games every opportunity i could if we had tickets i went it was just an awe um fortunately for me and at the time unfortunately uh, I was sad. I never got drafted to the O. I uh, never got an invite to even their camp as just a scrub. And and just at this time, I was starting to grow and, and got challenged by my 
my midget coach to actually practice hard and apply myself that maybe I had an, enough skill uh, to, to do something. Uh, I was a year and a half, maybe even less, from finishing my hockey career in Sault Ste. Marie as a high schooler. I was looking at going to school in Ontario and um, just kept sprouting up and, and, and playing better and um, was challenged, and that really made a difference for me. Uh, shocker comes down to just work ethic and, and actually paying attention and honing your craft. And so anyway, uh, we had really good teams. Uh, junior B and junior C and tier one hockey wasn't a big thing for a lot of our players in my hometown. We had a few that had left and our midget team, my second year midget dude, um, we went to Air Canada Cup. It was a big deal for a small town. Um, hadn't lost many games that season. And went there at the cup as a top goalie there. Was offered a scholarship for Michigan Tech. Know nothing about NCAA hockey. Um, uh, I was just taking a bat. So anyway, I was like, I need, a, I need a break. I went to Twelve uh, Storm Junior, uh, their their camp, major junior camp, forty hours the next year. Uh, they said I could make the team. I was eighteen, and I'm, I wish I knew the GM's name at the time, dude. I, I just want to thank him. He said, uh, after my 48 hours, I gave a you to play. And, and, and I looked him at the eye. I had no family advisor. My dad there. I was doing this all on my own. But it helped that I had just turned 18 years old. And I said, hey, well, you tell me. What am I doing here? In the next two years, do I got to beat up the starting goalie and get an NHL contract? He's like, that, like, that's the whole point of being here. And he could have said whatever else, but he, he just – told me the truth. He's like, yeah, pretty much that's what you're doing here. And so I went to Cambridge, Ontario and uh, played for the Winterhawks at my junior B. Um, that's how I re- got recruited. Visited St. Lawrence, you know. Yeah. Uh, plus, uh, you know, visited St. Lawrence, uh, some other schools, visited Michigan. I really wanted to go to Michigan um, and, and play there. I didn't know it was crazy to me that that was even an option. And so um they were waiting their sweet time. They were trying to pick the right one to replace Steve Shields. Uh, had to pass up some of those up schools. They're like, if you don't tell us now, we got to move on. And I said, well, I'll regret it if I don't wait. So I took a big leap of faith and um, got a call. Made 50 saves one Saturday night in Listowel, Ontario, somewhere in the middle of southwestern Ontario. Red was at the game. Red Berenson, he called on Monday and offered me the scholarship. A couple months later, got drafted to the Stars, too, right out of Junior B uh, while I was sleeping, no less. And so, um, and there's a, you know, there's a, there's a funny story. After my last game in junior, I was getting ready to go home. And um, Tim Bernard, head scout at the time, also an old goalie uh, for the Dallas Stars anyway, came to Galt Arena in Cambridge. And, and uh, I went out to the Bowels, the oldest arena in, in Ontario. Uh, really neat spot, and and Tim, I was with my dad because we got home the next day with uh, my teammate and his dad from the shoot, and the and the and Tim was like, "Hey, I watch you play, really enjoy you." I'm like, "It's crazy, I'm talking to NHL scout, just never even fathomed it." But he's like, "I don't know anything about you. Do you have time when you're down here in the locker room, um, just meet me at local spot and chat, and uh, just casually?" And I was like, "Well, as you know, Mr. Bernard." Um, it's my last game going to Michigan next year. Uh, we had a fabulous season. We didn't win it all, but it was a great year for this team. And I'll 
probably never really see most of these guys or almost all of them again in my life. Um, and there, and there's a, there's a party tonight. So, you know, my, I might go straight to the party and join my last night in Cambridge. And he looked at me and <laughs> kind of smirked on his face. He's like, all right, I guess I understand. Um, anyway, thanks for your time. <laughs> and that was it. But my dad, my dad was bringing old to me and he's like, dude, hey, what are you doing? Uh, but I'm going to party with my teammates, kids. man. <laughs> what do you yeah, think I'm man. doing? So I don't know if that, I would have assumed that that would hurt you, but it might have helped. And, um, who, who, who knows? But Tim and I laughed about it years, years later. And I got the call sleeping on my waterbed back in the day from Tim and uh, Craig Button and Russ Jackson. Uh, you know, those good dudes. So that was, uh, that was it for me, man, in a, in a nutshell. Can you believe when you went to Michigan, though, that later you're going to be all-time winning as NCAA goalie? Did you know that you were going to play a lot of games right from the start freshman year? Uh, I didn't know. Red, Red said he likes to play one guy, but, I mean, Steve Shields, who was my predecessor, had the NCAA record. Uh, they went to Final Fours. They had won a national championship. Steve was 6'4". I know Red was looking for a big goalie. I was 150-some pounds when I got to campus. Um, I could barely play two nights in a row. Uh, so there was a lot of learning to do physically and mentally um, for me. Um, I got it in bunches. I got it quick. Um, but the work ethic and the strength came over time. Um, I was very fortunate to have, you know, Red, you know, believe in me, but also wanting to groom me. So I didn't start the first game. There's a the third stringer from the year before was now a senior and and the other goalie, and he was expecting to get a chance to play. Uh, then I started the second game, and even though we didn't win, Red started me the third game, and I think I played 10 in a row, and then, and then pretty much played most of them the rest of the year. Um, so I, I, I didn't know, but, you know, looking back, just, you know, what an unbelievable opportunity to play on those great teams, um, to evolve into a leader, to get a chance to play every night, to stay healthy, uh, play all four years and, um, you know, get a crack at four final fours. Man. And then win two NCAA titles. I mean, what's that like? What's the celebration like when you do that out once, but the second time after you've already tasted it? Well, they're both different. And, you know, I got to say, say, Mike, with complete honesty that, you know, those two semifinal losses were, they hurt just as much as the other ones feel good. Uh, the first one, the school had won in 34 years. I was a sophomore. Brendan Morrison scored an overtime goal to send uh, our team program, athletic department, campus, and alumni in a frenzy. Um, hockey was on fire. Like I said, we had great teams and great players. So to win the first one was just so jubilant and shocking. And, um, you know, Red had a monkey off his back. Um, it was a combination of all everybody in the program, you know, all the old players and our beakers, you know, our booster club, like this, the can't believe it moment um, was just so shocking. And then uh, the 97 class, we were 98 of uh, Morrison, Bottrell, John Madden, Blake Sloan, Harold Shaw, Chris Preskin, Peter Burke, Mike Legg. Um, I don't think I'm missing him. Um, there's, nine, there's nine of them. Uh, Warren Looney. There's, there's the nine. Warren Looney, who's an animal too. Um, those guys left after we had three losses going to the NCAA tournament, losing in the finals in our, our junior year. So we had 11 freshmen come in the next year. So to win that one as a senior in your last game ever, 
uh, grooming freshmen over the first year with only 10 when I left the program was just such a gratifying feeling uh, as a senior class, as a program, to know that in a rebuilding year, um, you do things the right way and sacrifice a lot, you know, of your time to do something for the greater good, being the team, is so much worth it. So the, the, the two were equally amazing, um, you know, when you're just different position parts of your career and it's only four year deal that, uh, that they mean so many different things to us. But, uh, that last, and then that last game get us, got us to be the winningest class in the Michigan hockey history to triumph from the year before the, the great heralded 97 class. So, uh, we like to rub that in their face more than we do the uh, second national championship. So there's only two classes that are double national champions. Uh, anyway, from our era. So it's, uh, it, it was unbelievable, dude. What a, what a time we had there. It wouldn't have changed if we won zero national championships by going back and celebrating and reminiscing with the faculty and, and the staff and the athletic department and, of course, the, the guys. Um, it's, what a, it's a great feeling. So I got to say thank you to you because I was lucky enough when I think I was 13 or 14 to go to Joe Louis Arena, see Michigan, Michigan State play against one another. And watching you and Chad Albin sauce the puck down the ice back and forth, the way you guys were handling the puck changed my life because immediately I knew I had to be able to do that. And I'd never seen it. Like I'd seen Hextall shoot the puck off the glass in the out. I'd seen him score a goal. But you guys took it to a whole different level. And I want to know how puck handling evolved in your game, because to me, you really set the benchmark and the high watermark in hockey. And I know everybody talks about uh, Marty, the other Marty, Brodeur causing the trapezoid to happen. But to me, it was you, Brodeur, DiPietro, the reason why it came in. So how did puck handling become such a part of your game? And how did you perfect it? Well, the, the good news is you never perfected, especially for the kids out there. We, we, all, we all know that. I had uh, things I worked on a daily basis. Uh, I'm glad you remember uh, that. My, my, my probably memory perspective was that, you know, fast forward 10 years after college hockey to Joe, saucing around with Todd Alvin, that um, I thought I was a million times better uh, at playing the puck. Um I was pretty good in college, especially for college kids. Um, my biggest disappointment uh, was lack of strength. I was getting stronger. You know, the, the sticks and the gloves weren't just as good as they were 10 years later or even a few. Um, and it wasn't until I really turned my hand over and, and, and developed the grip um, with the handover process that really elevated my ability to handle the puck. And so, you know, Ch Chad was good at it. Uh, we found it really efficient. Um, in college to, to get out there and move the puck. It was, it was still, it was a work in progress. It was learning. Um, you know, coaches, we didn't practice it like we did once we got to the NHL. When I, when I turned pro and, and got to the Dallas Stars training camp in the season, and, um, I was very lucky to have Ed Belcor in front of me where he moved the puck in a really efficient way, uh, moved it up the ice, um, pretty good. Um, but he, he moved the puck side to side with his defenseman, with the, with the defenseman were used to going to, um, the corners, um, and you, and, and outnumbering them, you know, the right. two four checkers. And, yeah. He had a proper system that allowed the team to break out effectively out of the zone. Right. Yeah. So I, it was, I went from college and then right to the pros where guys weren't coming to me and we didn't have to argue or go over that separation at the onset. 
so that was a big advantage. And but the but the ultimate one that I said was the, was the was the grip, you know. And once I turned my hand over, I remember the first time I did it. And uh, you know these drills that you do, and you get on your backhand side. You know, for you, it's on the opposite deal. But they're rimming the puck around. Uh, the coach was, and the drill was just to stop it and then slide it into the corner and just. And I remember I kept losing it because I had no, you had no power on your toe on my backhand side. So I remember chasing the puck, I'd, you know, scurry up in front of me. And finally, I literally just turned my hand over, jammed it into the board as hard as I could, made sure it stopped. And even the first time I did it, I turned it back around, played it forehand or the, the conventional way. And then the next time we introduced four checkers to the drill, and I didn't have time to turn my hand back around. So I just played the puck on my forehand side, but with my hand. And I was like, man, that felt really good. And then all of a sudden I realized I had a backhand that I could get up on the glass consistently. And then, and I just started playing with it. And all of a sudden, you know, I, I went from a dispersion rate of call it 20 degrees, maybe 15 on the traditional way. Now I could, with an athletic posture, I can, my dispersion rate went to 85 degrees. Now I can put pucks underneath me without, without telegraphing it, without changing my whole body. I can open my face and give a little flick. I can do it off the toe, off the heel. And more importantly, now that it's opened up, I had confidence to go to my backhand side, even with a little saucer getting it hard on the glass around, if I needed to beat a four checker. And that was a game changer right there, was that I couldn't telegraph it. I had an athletic posture and I had access to both sides. And even though I couldn't get it as high as I wanted to, if I was going down the ice or over top of somebody in a traditional play because of the open chain, uh, style system, the backhand, or um, my accuracy and my, and my flat passing and the ability to soft it flat um, became exponentially better. And that, to me, was just a massive game changer. And, uh, you know, you, you, you've seen it, and I used to every goalie do it. I don't think I've seen any – I don't know if there's anybody other than Anton Nibodin here in Dallas. I don't know who else doesn't turn their hand over. And I look at him, I just shake my head. He's pretty good at it, but I'm like, just imagine how good you'd be, dude, if you turn that hand over. <laughs> um, so I take a lot of paternal pride when I when I see all these young goaltenders uh, professionally or just playing at local rinks, um, playing the way that uh, the way that I did. I mean, you literally discovered something. You have something in goaltending named after you. And we're talking about the Turco grip. And for people who aren't familiar with it, it's when you turn your hand over on the on the goalie stick, which is what everybody does now. It looks normal. I never did that until later. And even if I was still trying to get height on the puck, I still had to go traditional because I couldn't get it nearly as high or as hard uh, with your with the Turco grip. Now, backhand and flat passes and everything, I could rip it no problem like that. So I actually found myself still using a little bit of both. And I think Marty Brodeur was the last guy besides Hudobin who still went traditional a little bit. Uh, but there's not many of us left. You know, you get done with Michigan. Did you know that you were going to be going straight to the to the IHL when you were done with it? Because you spent two full seasons in the zoo, uh, Kalamazoo. And I'm wondering what the IHL was like back then because it was a regional league that was a little bit different than the American League where guys end up now. So how did that process go coming out of college to end up in pro? Yeah, I, I, knew, I knew, man. We had um, we had two, we had two changeovers. So once you get drafted, you're paying attention to your team and all that. And I was like, man, man, this team's stacked. So I get to training camp. Actually, I, 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 you'll laugh at this one. Before, you know, rookie camp, now 
So I went to rookie camp. There's no rules in the CBA about it. And, but I was unsigned. So before my first training camp, I got to Dallas. The first time I ever was south, more south than Cincinnati, Ohio. I, I flew into Dallas in July. It was hot as heck. And um, I, I thought I was going to die when I walked off the plane with jeans on. And my agent's like, you can't go to Dallas, dude. You're not signed. So we were having a little issue, just me getting signed out of college. And uh, he's like, dude, you cannot go. You cannot go. Uh, anyway, I'm like, I'm going, you know, I'm all about the boys. I don't want to start off on the wrong foot. He goes, well, you just can't put the pads and you can go hang out. I'm like, sweet. So anyway, the first <laughs> time I ever played, uh, you know, I was in a rookie camp. I actually played forward. <laughs> yeah. You know? No. So Are more you serious? Often, in remember, Dallas? I swear to God, in Dallas. I was standing there at the red line waiting for the drill, you know, doing drills, you know. And and uh, I remember Morrow skating up behind me and, and he's like, he was a – He's 18 years old. I'm 19. He's still playing in Portland. He went back that year to go win a Memorial Cup. And, and by then, you know, the only prospects you ever seen was once a year in the hockey news, right? You're no internet. No, nobody knows who's going on other than word of mouth. And uh, He's a Western kid. I was from Ontario. I went to school. He's a major junior. Anyway, he's standing behind me and he goes, hey, dude, I would have swore, Turkle, you're, you're a goalie. <laughs> and I was like, uh, Maybe I'm pretty good at playing forward. I said, like, yeah, guy, I am a goalie. So anyway, I went to training <laughs> camp that year. Yeah, I went to training camp, and uh, I look around. There's Eddie Balfour. This is training camp 1998. Roman Turek, maybe the best goalie I've ever seen in practice. This guy, nobody was scoring. I mean, he didn't move. I was so jealous. Uh, Manny Fernandez uh, was there. I was like, if I was to build a goalie today, it would be Manny Fernandez. Still today, the way he, you know, he, he was big, he was six two, he was strong, he had a great posture about him. The way he moved and caught the puck, I was like, man, that's like I get it. And then my, my, Mike Bales was there too, and became my partner. And it's Tom a stacked Duke. organization, uh, man. Yeah, and then even then, I was then Daryl Ray. Daryl Ray was practicing with us on the regular as well. Razor, so he was the practice goalie. Uh, a lot of the times when Eddie wasn't there. So I was like sixth on the depth chart when I when I got there. So I was just happy to find a spot in uh, in, in Kalamazoo. Mike Bales and I, for the first half of the season, uh, split every game until Christmas or Christmas break, and we, uh, we figured it out. So I, I, I had a clue. I was kind of hoping for a chance for the second year, but they penciled Manny in. I uh, had to go in the office with Bob Ganey and tell him my feelings, which was probably the – most daunting thing I've had to do in my life, but I thought it was proper. Share my feelings. Um, and then, uh, yeah, the two years in the Kalamazoo, man, we were, we were terrible. Uh, the league was awesome though. Just think, man, we had teams in Orlando, Long Beach, Vegas had a team back then, Kansas City, uh, the Chicago Wolves had a team, Cincinnati had a team, the Vipers, Cleveland. Um, it was just a great league. Uh, travel was awesome. Uh, Milwaukee was a big city, but I was on the bus circuit. We also had Grand Rapids, a beautiful town. Uh, Fort Wayne and Indianapolis. Those rinks weren't so amazing. Uh, anyway, so there's a, a few others, but, uh, it, it was a great league. We shut the league down. Uh, I was involved in the highest penalty minute game against Fort Wayne. 401 penalty minutes, I think it was. Oh, it was how many did you have? Oh, my. I got one with Pokey Reddick, dude. Because <laughs> um, you had a lot of really games in your career. Pokey. Like you had a lot of penalty oh minutes and assists. Like I, I can't believe you didn't have a Gordy Howe at some point. Uh, well, you know, at the end of the day, I didn't have any goals either. So I, I always, 
always said uh, they, they didn't pay me to fight or score goals. They just paid me to uh, take some pins, uh, protect my crease, and, and, and move the fuck out of the zone. So, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Razor put that stat recently of, of how many pins I did have. I was like, oh, that's a lot. <laughs> did you get a chance to black ace for Dallas during the cup runs in 99, yeah. 2000? Oh, yeah, dude. That was, it was unbelievable. But, so the first year, I didn't get there until kind of the end of yeah, the first round, but what an experience for me. I just went from Air Canada Cup midget year, Sutherland Cup championship in uh, finals anyway, in, in, in uh, junior, four straight final fours in, in college, and then my first year pro, we got a crappy team in the minors, case, and we go to the Stanley Cup finals. And we just, and we win, you know, we, I loosely, but they, they win the cup in Buffalo. I'm there for a bunch of days partying. It was such a blast. And I just loved it. Uh, the next year back to the minors, did the cup run again, came, came really close, uh, watched Perder, uh, and Eddie in that finals, Hashik and Eddie, uh, the year before. He beat Patrick Waugh twice in the Western Conference finals, which are unbelievable series and two great teams and organizations. So I got a really great taste of some meaningful hockey. I also got to be around the staff, uh, the media, uh, wives and families, uh, people in Dallas before I ever got to play one game, man. So the time I ever got there, not only was I 25 years old before I played my first game, but I was around the organization for probably a combined eight months. I got called up twice during the IHL days, never played a game. Uh, and then was that black eight. So. Man, I was very, very fortunate to um, be around uh, 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 the Stars organization, learn a lot before I ever got my um, chance to, to back up Betty. So that was a really beneficial um, for me. After they won the Cup, did you get a chance to meet Dime and Vinny from Pantera? Because I heard those guys hosted some of the greatest Cup parties like in the history of sports. I was there, man. I was there when the cup got dent- dented. It was in the bottom of the pool. I remember someone asked me, they're like, hey, kid, go get the cup. And I was like, are you serious? <laughs> like, like, I don't know, man. <laughs> I, I know how heavy that thing is now, and I'm, it's in the bottom of the pool. I ain't going to get there. Good luck. See you later. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I went to his birthday party. Um, it sucks. You know, we missed both of them. Yeah. Vinny was an unbelievable fan. It was a big thrill for me to hear the to hear the Dallas fight song coming out because Pantera recorded it, and I was being a big Pantera fan. Every time I heard it, it just kind of sent chills down my spine. And you're right, we really miss miss Dime and Vinny. I know they were tight with you guys. Yeah, you know that Dime wasn't as around hockey as much, but Vinny Vinny was. He spent a lot of time with um, you know Eddie and, and Craig Ludwig and the, and the guys. Um, I, I hung out with them every time I saw them, and I went to his birthday party. It was probably four months before he had passed. And so, um, anyway, it, it, it just sucks. He, yeah. So we've been to the house in Arlington, been in the room where they recorded the, the Dallas Star song. They played it. Uh, I think I'm still half deaf because of it. <laughs> but he, um, yeah, man, I, I know you love Metallica or uh, rock music and, and metal stuff. And, and those guys were infamous in that. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, in that circle. So when you came out of the IHL, was it a big vote of confidence to just straight up make the team in 2000? You know, you see some guys who kind of waffle between the two, but you already said how you'd been able to understudy in the playoffs. So did you feel comfortable right away when you got to Dallas? I felt pretty comfortable. And part of my game was having confidence and believing in myself. 
Um, but I also saw these other guys that I had to, you know, outperform or, or make them less valuable than they were in the organization. Um, but I was just like, I was like, I, as confident and cocky as a person or player that I was and the people perceived me to be, I always had a little anxiety of just like belonging, you know, and that mm-hmm. part of growing up a small guy and not very good and blooming late and just I, going out there I and know playing the way I played. I know yeah, that feeling a hundred percent, like, especially for me, always being like a number three guy, you're kind of like watching your toes as you walk around the locker room. And the older I got, I was like, you know what, man, enough of this. Like, I just need to be myself. Who cares if I come in yeah. hot? You know what I mean? So I know exactly wow, what you mean by sure. that. Well, I was always myself. I think that's, that's part of my demeanor that came easy naturally. Um, so I didn't walk around on eggshells, but I was always mindful, like, man, I got to bust my butt here. Uh, work ethic, gym, you know, Michigan prepared me really, really well and to, to go be myself, but you know, that underlying work ethic, she stands on your game. And, but I always felt like, man, even though I just, I'm here, I gotta feel like I gotta make sure I belong. And then, then you play, then you go to third string and you're like, man, all right, now it's chance. And, and I don't want to totally undermine my, my career, but I was very lucky to have um, the expansion era right around that time. And so what most people don't know, here I don't like to talk about it because it doesn't paint a great picture, but after we won the cup, two days later, we traded Roman Turk to the St. Louis Blues because we weren't going to protect them on um, on that year's expansion draft. The next year, Manny Fernandez backs up Eddie. He's the backup for the 2000 cup run and he gets taken to minnesota expansion draft that year so when the dust settles if we looked around they're like who else we got and i'm the only guy left and they're like all right Sergio, you're gonna back up eddie next year and i'm like well yeah no crap you don't have anybody so <laughs> that summer of 2000 i was getting married and there's a really odd rule in the cba that says um after three years pro, if you're 25 years old and haven't played 30 games in the NHL, you become an automatic, unrestricted free agent. And I turned pro, but it's the only time in my life my late birthday was an advantage. I'm an August 13th kid. And so I turned pro, or, or I, I turned pro my first, so 98 is my first year. So at the end of my second year, that summer, I was still 24 years old. And we're on a July 1 fiscal year. And so I get married. Um, and in that line, I had a two-year deal because I was 22 years old out of college. So the two-year deal, because um, I was older, instead of a three-year deal for entry level. So my deal was up and they told us, hey, just sign your, just sign your qualifying offer and we'll figure it out. And my agent's like, comes to my wedding reception. We're in the line getting ready to do, getting ready to do, you know, the traditional Italian shots. And, uh, he, he hands me, he hands me my qualifying offer. And I take it back. They told me not to sign my qualifying offer, um, at the time. So I wasn't signing my, uh, qualifying offer. He said, don't sign the qualifying offer. We'll figure it out. But if I didn't sign it, then they had, I'm, there's nothing for me to go back on. Um, they can do whatever they want. They can hold out if 
or I'd have to hold out unless I signed the deal that they had. So he, so we signed in the receiving line at my wedding, my qualifying offer. And, uh, we laugh about it. We still laugh about it to this day. And so now I have a deal, which is a two way deal. You had five, 10% increase, whatever it was. And now we had say, Hey, listen, we'll go play the year on a one year deal. And if we have to, otherwise we'll negotiate. And so anyway, going into that season, they would have to play me 30 games minimum because I never played a game. And at the end of that year, I was, I turned, I was 25, but I was still 25 by July 1 because my birthday wasn't until August. So at the start of that season, and this is what you might throw up on, I never played a game yet. I ended up signing a three year deal all one way, uh, club option on the third year before I ever played a game in the NHL. And I, I even bought a house before I played, before I got my first check oh. <laughs> because I knew it because I signed a one year. It was like two days before camp or before season started. They're so mad at me, but they're like, Hey, you know what? You can do a Lou Lamorello did and put me in 30 games. He did it to Mike Dunham where. Uh, there was still a bad rule in there that says you don't have to take one shift and there was no clause for goalies saying, hey, it's like 20 minutes or something. So Lou, Lou did that to Mike Dunham, took Verdure out for a power play, put Dunham in for a shift, took him back out, and then he got just 30 games and he told him to go fly a kite at the end of the year. <laughs> and uh, Bob Gainey did want to do that. And and um, so we negotiated a three-year deal, um, all one-way all one -way money, and uh, which set me up for – for the rest of history kind of moment. So anyway, my first year starting, dude, they, they picked up the option. They said, Eddie's not going to come back. You're going to take over. And uh, I had one year left. You know, I think it was 850K rolling in it. And um, so I thought. And then anyway, I had my banner year, that 1.72, second highest save percentage ever. And that uh, gives my platform year right there, man. Pretty good timing to have that season. One point two or one point seven two goals against, nine three two save percentage. Huge season. I want to just roll it back for a second though, because I want to ask what it was like to play with Eddie the Eagle. You know, as his kind of as his understudy, his backup goalie partner. How was it playing alongside him? Oh, I got great memories, man. This is you know some of them. That Eddie was Eddie, and uh, he he was great to me during the cup runs. Wasn't as great to me when I was his partner. Uh, even move, even moved my stall away from his, my second year with him. <laughs> I don't think I was that annoying, but maybe I was. And anyway, he's, uh, <laughs> he was great, man. He was such a warrior. He's the best in the world at one point there. Um, I got to witness it. Uh, but the, the guy was a gamer, man. He, the players, the way goalies should be treated is like, Hey, this guy's going to show up. He's going to win us hockey games and we need him. He could do whatever he wants. Now it's like, you know, load management. It's like, oh my God, he didn't play great last night. He should have that one. Don't put him in. And you're like, this, the loyalty is gonzo. And we had a lot of loyalty towards Eddie. And all I ever asked, especially in my second year playing with him, he wasn't playing well at all. And, um, but they were playing him in the net. Well, Hitchcock got fired. Um, Bob Ganey fired himself. Uh, that's when Doug Armstrong took over. Um, Rick Wilson was our interim coach, and Rick and him knew each other from North Dakota, and, and they're playing each other. Or he's playing Eddie all the time. And I was like, well, honestly, that doesn't people are like, oh, don't you think you should be playing? I was like, listen, I hope to play as well as Eddie Belfort has in his career, and I hope that I can get as much respect 
that Eddie getting is getting because he deserves it. And the guys believed in him, and it was it was it was a treat to watch him. And so I get to see him now. Uh, I'm really proud of him what he's doing with his uh, whiskey business, uh, Belfort Spirits. Uh, but it was good. It was an eye-opening experience, and you know, not all roses, but uh, man, the guy was such a warrior. So really, really awesome to get a chance to watch him on a daily basis. Those couple of years leading into the lockout were huge. We already talked about your record-setting year. Even the next one was really good, and you had some playoff success there. Do you feel like that's what set you up for making the Olympics in 2006? And also, really, how much fun were you having in these All-Star games that you got to do? I remember when they mic'd you up for it and you were talking during the whole game. It, it just seemed like you were, from the outside, that you were having a lot of fun playing the game. Um, yeah, I mean, that's fair to say. That's, um, my, my personality is to... Even now, today, man, I put the mask on, which is rare. And I'm glad I don't have to because it hurts. But when I put the mask on, I just, I go right back into that. It's like, you know, going to the phone booth and putting the cape on. Um, it just, you go, you revert back to the, to talking like that, thinking like that, yelling. And, and so I was, I was really lucky, Mike, honestly. If you're not playing a game for us, 25 years old, um, I had great timing. You know, contracts, team, good team. Um, Doug Armstrong, you know, paid me almost every dollar I ever made. Um, and Doug also was getting in there with Team Canada. And as much as I'd like to think it was, uh, you know, my ability for the World Cups and, 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 uh, Olympics that I went to, you know, Doug had a lot, a lot to do with that. And I'm uh, very appreciative, uh, of him. Um, I also, by that point, Knew I deserved to be there, um, along with a bunch of other goalies. But, but I, I do think, you know, between Doug, how I revered my teammates, being a starter or being a sec backup or being a third goalie, um, being a good teammate is something that's very important to me. Um, down to the core, it's how I was taught and it's how I believe and think. Um, so I think that lended a lot to the ability to get on those teams. I had great experiences with Roberto and, and, and Verdure in the 2005 World Championships and the 06 Olympics. Um, some really great years. Uh, love representing your country. Probably no greater feeling. Um, as a, just as a Canadian kid in small towns, what I dreamed of. I didn't, I didn't do Maple Leafs or Canadians or Bruins or Blackhawks. Uh, drawings when I was a kid it was always Team Canada, man. Always Team Canada. And, um, so, Playing in an all-star game, my first one in 2003, dude, you laughed at this, but, um, I got my picture, you know, and, and, and then the photo, it's beside Patrick Waugh, you know, like, this is, geez, at the end of his career, I'm just beginning mine, and he couldn't have been nicer to me, he gave me some really great advice. Um, but yeah, he, he, he also did, uh, he also wanted a stick of mine, which I thought was highly fascinating, and, Walked, I just got to the rink. I was there maybe 20 minutes and end up in the locker room. I'm packing my stuff. And he's like, you know, Marty, uh, do you want, uh, do you mind my son here? You know, I introduced this kid. And he's like, he let, he wants a stick. And I was like, well, hell yeah. Of course I give you a stick, dude. <laughs> and I said, you know, and in fact, um, I know which one I want to give you. I got it picked out of my head. Let me, let me go get it right now. I got to go to the change room. So I got to walk through stick room or change room and that all the way to the back where the sticks were. The time I get back there, I go walking through the change room, dude. I look over and I see a stick in a stall and it's Patrick's stall, but it's my stick. He picked out the stick before he even asked me. <laughs> I was like, what the? And I just laughed. I'm like, dude, you could 
in my head, you know, Quattro, you can take all my sticks. But uh, you know what I think? And then the more I thought about it years later, I was like, you know what that guy wanted? He wanted to see my curve. He's like, must be the guy's stick. There's no way he's that good to move in the puck. I got to yeah. see what his secret, secret weapon is. But uh, anyway, it was a cool feather in my cap for me. It was a great experience. And um, all-star games were, were cool. I got to do one in Dallas, you know, for the hometown team that year that I got mic'd up. So, man, this is very... In a, in a short little run um, of a career, it was uh, had some great highlights and some awesome memories. Yeah, I had a previous guest on here that was Ron Tugnut, your goalie partner for a couple of years, and he wanted to make sure I asked you about your pregame routine of getting dressed in six, seven minutes flat. You'd shower, and Tugger'd be sitting there in his gear looking around, and all of a sudden you'd come tearing back in the locker room. How did that even start for you? Well, I mean, I like to be, I like to be busy. You know, for me, sitting in my locker, banging my head off the wall like the old guys, just wasn't my thing, you know. And and, and I watched the guys and the seriousness, and you know, I just never succumbed to hey, can't talk to me on game days kind of mentality. Um, so I was of the new age in terms of that. And so I remember Tugger coming there, and so after we said Eddie won't come back, and uh, Army's like, yeah, I gotta get you a wet veteran, and got me, got us. Uh, Tugger and Tugger was a fun man. It was so much fun. We had a blast, and and I remember him watching him the first you know month or so, and and you know I don't you don't pay attention, but he's watching you. And so he comes to me one day. We're having a beer. And he's like, "Dude, I can't believe you just you're out there playing soccer, sweating, roughing it up, forcing around, and then you." run in here and get dressed and go on the ice. <laughs> I'm like, Tugger, like, yeah, I'm, I'm into it. It's my ritual, it's my routine, but I, you know, I, I just like to get warm. I got, I got a ton of energy and, um, I just want to sit there and think about thinking all day. This whole game is about not thinking. Um, our preparation is already done, dude. I've already went through it all and visualized it all. And now it's time just to go out there and, and play. And I don't want to sit there and think about it. It's like, man, I, and I'm sitting over here rocking my stall. I'm like, God, this is for the birds watching you. I'd rather be like that. I'm like, dude, this is the way you, it's the way you grew up. You know, it's just the way I always was. And so we laugh, man. Oh, yeah, we've I've had – I got six staples in my head one time in Detroit before a game. I bounced the ball with somebody and overshot my landing and hit the stupid spike at Joe Lewis. And not sad to see that building coming down as we, as we, as we talk right now. But um, just split my head open. I got staples in my head. No – no numbing, no lidocaine or anything. I'm just like, do it, man. I got to go play. And I was like 10 minutes before I had to go get dressed too. But uh, Tiger and I had a blast, man. We had, um, we used to go, this is how great things used to be. We, we, had, we used to do six days in Colorado. And one of the years, we had all five goalies in a condo in Breckenridge. And I, I helped orchestrated and I can put the goalies together for a year. Especially with Tiger, he's a blast. We had Mike Smith, who's still playing, my boy. Um, Dan Alice, who's a great goalie, uh, too. Um, and we had Corey Hirsch, who was fabulous, man. The greatest Canadian goalie pads of all time. And a uh, cool dude. So we, we had a, we had a blast. We had tons of memories. And, um, all I can remember is that Tiger was, Tiger liked to have some fun, but Tiger couldn't, uh, hit the, hit the, Hit the booze too much because uh, I remember one morning I, I thought we were fine, but apparently he wasn't, and uh, he threw up right on the ice right during the drills. In fact, <laughs> in the morning, Colorado. I'm like, come on, Tugger, you're gonna you're gonna get us all busted here staying out late one night. 
Here you are, the young guy coming in, and you're the bad influence on the old guy getting them loose. <laughs> hey, so, hey, I, hey, I didn't say I took him out. All I'm saying is that we um, that we went out together with the whole group, no, right. not, nonetheless. But uh, Tugger was Tugger was awesome, man. He was so good, and we had a we we did an annual goalie dinner only um, night before a game. That was a riot. Uh, got a little nervous one year. We were in Phoenix. Because uh, he had to start the next night. And he, we didn't know we were going to start. We made the plans without starting. And then uh, he was really fun. And I had an idea, and he helped me with it, to do a goalie D dinner, kind of off the premise of Dan Marino's uh, ice toner gloves, you know, take care of the hands that take care of you. <laughs> and so one of the coolest things I did looking back was have a goalie D dinner every year and let the, let the players kind of plan it, like pick the dates. If in San Jose, we'll go to San Francisco or – Phoenix, we'll go to Scottsdale, um, you know, and I'll buy the dinner and the transportation and entertainment, you know, we'll go out wherever and I'll buy the drinks. And so um, it was great. It always pissed the forwards off, which made me even happier inside than anything. But uh, <laughs> it was a great man. I had great memories of the old Tugginator. Let's talk gear just for a little bit here, because you wore a Warwick mask your entire career, just like I did. So one, when did you get in touch with Warwick? I know it was probably while you were at college. And then two, let's talk about the gargoyle design on your mask and its evolution. Um, yeah, Warwick, those guys in Michigan, so they turned me on. Greg Malky, my partner, was a Detroit kid. He's still a goalie nutcase. He still plays with the Red Wings uh, alumni. He's their go-to guy. And uh, Shields, he wore Warwick. So that, that transition to work was easy, making my first one. Um, and they were good masks, man. Gary made a really great mask. I took a lot of crap off, off the head. Um, always felt pretty safe. That was a great mask, and you know, so the gargoyles, a guy named Ray Bishop was out of Detroit, and I sat down with him. I never had to design a mask until I turned pro, just because we had the wing helmets in Michigan, and you know, Ray came up with the gargoyles idea. I said, "Hey, I want a net protector, you know, and I want a brick wall on there." And he's like, "Well, gargoyles are the safe keepers," and I was like, "Ah, it sounds great," even though it wasn't really my thing, uh, like Dungeons and Dragons, I guess. It, <laughs> kind of way for that, but um, no one else had it. It was unique. I thought the, the style was cool, and then um, I ended up switching to Dave Art, uh, David Gunderson, who, who now has the joy of the league, and that Johan Hedberg introduced me to him. You know, Lundqvist wasn't in the league yet, and so I was the first North American kid to get um, Dave Art to do my stuff. Man, he's uh, he's the best, and he has so much business. So uh, I still do some work with him. Uh, He's such a good dude. So the mask is the best part of being a goalie. You know that. That's right. I've got all mine. I think, too, when I look at your stuff, that you always wore CCM or Heat and get, I mean, I think your whole career. And I look at it and you had mismatched gear in college. It was super cool. The yellow and the blue. One pad was one color. Uh, the other was the other. And even in pro, like you always had a dark setup. And I even heard that CCM or Reebok used to have a really hard time getting your spec style in because you wanted a super flexible kind of custom pad compared to what they were making. Is there any truth to that? Um, we did have some issues over the years. Um, I I don't have a great bar fly and I still, my, my hip rotation is terrible. So I needed the pads to bend and so they could curl up and touch so they could cover the fly pole. Otherwise, you know, neat things were making saves back in the days. You had to get your pads to touch. And so that's why I wanted them flexible. Um, I didn't mind them hard at the top, but um, I wore um, heat and all through college. Um, I, I wore in juniors. My first time I had a, 
brand new set of pads in a long time and about to make it. Um, and you know, for me, we used to go over to Harrow, Ontario and Kingsville and my beer company's in Kingsville called Kingsville Brewing Company. Um, so it's just a meaningful place for me. I got to design my gear with, uh, you know, old, you know, Mr. Eaton, um, you know, God rest his soul and all that fun stuff. And my first, about my first year pro, we were, we were really Vaughn in Dallas and I wore Vaughn pads. My two years, my two years back in the Betty, I wore CCM gloves. I'm like not wearing Vaughn stuff and Vaughn gloves. I couldn't. And then, and then I actually switched, totally switched. My poor trainer had to, you know, really make significant changes to my pads once I got them back from Vaughn, uh, on the thigh rise, you know, they're either too loose or too stuffy or this and that, too thick or too thin. And so Vaughn, or he made me a pair of pads that uh, pretty much I went with them forever. Yeah, well, they got built by Reebok and I switched to Reebok. They, they made a great pad. Um, and then, you know, eventually just stuck with the, the Reebok and Lafayette brands once um, mm-hmm. I finally got to back and had to argue with him to make me a break. And I don't know what he was yelling at me in French that day, but I don't think it was very nice. Um, <laughs> but we got to, we got down to it, brass tacks, and got to design my pad the way I wanted to. Um, I just couldn't pull out like the other guys and, and blockers. So uh, it was fun, man. I, it's equipment. I never had equipment deal. I was talking about it this morning with uh, Steve Sumner, our equipment guy. And I was like, man, you, you just you get paid so much more stop pucks well than you do to get paid wearing equipment. And um, so I was always mixed matching and like whatever works. I wasn't quite eclectic like Katsumi Thomas or something. But right. um, you know what you like. And the gloves are really important to me. Playing the puck and feel too. My upper body piece. Had a Vaughn one, probably, or I'd say ten of the eleven years in a row there. Um, real thin one. I wanted to feel it, but also could cross my arms and play the puck um, the way I did and be pretty agile. I might have given a few goals, but I think I decreased that many more chances to offset that issue. Yeah, you had twenty-something assists in your career. You also chipped in that way. I'm sure it helped. At what point did you know in your career that Dallas was probably going to end up being your home? You know, that's a good question, but I, I, I want to say it pretty early. I married my high school sweetheart. She went to school in Thunder Bay, Ontario, while I was in Ann Arbor. Um, we were together, you know, the whole time. We remember after we bought a place in Sault Ste. Marie, which is about 2001, for the summer, we would do Texas winters and we'd have Northern Ontario summers. And I just think Somewhere through the winter and the middle of summer, we just looked at each other and like, man, this is perfect. You know, like golfing year round, sunshine in, in, in Texas, falls and winters and, and springs and then the summer up north. It was, it, it was great. And um, we always jumped into the community as well, Mike. And I think that was a big component. A lot of my teammates did not do that. Um, it's just, way it was in my dna but it was also the way i was groomed to, as a michigan athlete um and a, a michigan man to to give back and be part of the community that's within you live and, and work and so um we really grew accustomed to it and loved it and and you know playing there 10 years and being around for 12 before i left chicago that you know you, you get like street cred and you just you know and, and that helps for life ever after and plus it's got everything that we ever want um, so the plan is to uh, call us on base and put down some roots for our family. 
as the first generation people in Texas. And uh, so it's pretty early, but uh, it was just uh, that first love of the, the weather and the changes that we had opportunity to do and then, then get involved in the community and um, understanding the, the economic upside and uh, the hockey team here and all the sports and entertainment and all the fun stuff. My wife plays tennis. Our, our girls are in high school. Um, this is this is home. It's been home for a long time. I already got to thank you once for influencing me so much as a goalie, uh, but I want to thank you just for coming on and telling your story. Well, I appreciate you, man, and uh, best of luck. Big fan of yours, man. It was uh, so glad we got together recently. You got in the Stars organization. Um, you, had, you had some great runs, and I know you got lots more to, to do in life, and so I'll be, a, I'll be a fan watching it if you need me. I'm here right Thanks for listening to Six Degrees with Mike McKenna. Please make sure that you like, comment, leave a rating, subscribe, whether it's iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, anywhere that you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.